Hello, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you join us on this auspicious occasion of us both being in the same room. For the first time in at least three years, Rob, I'm actually looking across the table at you in person. This is very strange. Uh, it's something we haven't done a lot of. <laughs> Here I am, Dave. Here so, I am. So this, this is a the two podcasters special. Yes, in room uh, 5004 in, well, we won't disclose your location in the city. You might want to come back here. No, but I am in Sydney. <laughs> you are in Sydney indeed, as am I. And listeners, we thought it would be fun to do a Q&A when we caught up. Throw it out there to you guys. You can ask us any questions you like. We've got 19 questions and a statement to get through. Uh, Dave, why don't we kick off with what the listeners want to know? Uh, yes, so the first one comes in from... Our friends, well, I say friends, at 42 to Doomsday, who have said, Rob, can you please get David Kitchen to explain why David Bradley's portrayal of the first Doctor is the definitive version? Well, Dave, why is David Bradley's <laughs> first Doctor the so definitive edition? This is a very pointed and very clever uh, little question there from the 42 to Doomsday guys, because for those of you who don't follow them, their last main episode was a, uh, what do they call it? Fake news <laughs> version where they got the listeners to challenge them to defend unrealistic points of view. Yeah. And the Spacefall Twitter account, so it could have been me, but it could equally have been Richard, guys, challenged them to defend David Bradley as the first Doctor, and now they're returning the favour. Look, I I can't defend that. I've said all along that I think David Bradley was a really good performer as William Hartnell in An Adventure in Time and Space. Mm. I've never felt he really properly captured the first Doctor in the way that Hartnell did and even in the way that Handel did, frankly. Yeah. Apparently he's better on Big Finish, not that I've heard it. That wouldn't surprise me, actually, because it's some of the mannerisms that he does struggle with and I think he's trying too hard to Mm. be a caricature of the Hartnell performance. In a way that I don't think Handel did, I think Handel just sort of threw himself into the role of I'm playing this kind of a character and I'll just do what I think comes naturally. And it feels more like a natural performance. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that Bradley playing Hartnell just feels like he's like, okay, I'm playing an actor who's a certain age and a certain background and, and he throws himself into it and it works really, really well. When he's trying to be the first Doctor, he's trying to be the first Doctor. Yes. And doing all that sort of, I'm going to hold my lapels and I'm going to do this here, I'm going to do this here. And it just feels a bit staged to me. Mm. Um, and, of course, not helped. And this is obviously what the guys wanted me to say. Not helped <laughs> by the fact that the script and the characterization in Twice Upon a Time is terrible. Bloody terrible. Um, maybe he's better written on the big finish ones. That I, I'm not someone who's really been keen to dive into the recast big finish things. I think, mm. like, of all the big finish I can consume... Going into when I recast one just is sort of way, way down the queue. But, yeah, maybe it would be worth diving in and just seeing if that is is true. Yeah, I'm the same. There's hundreds of episodes with real Doctors in them, if I can put it that way. I don't really need to pretend John Pertwee or yeah, whatever. Exactly. If I was a full consumer and went into all their ranges, I might. But I've got so much Big Finish I've bought and listened to yet that hmm. why, get, why get there? What else have we got? One from Dylan Rees. If... RTD2 does go for a Doctor Who multiverse. What spin-off shows do you think we will see? Choose one you think is probable and one that is absolute fanwake, but you need it in your life. Ooh. You know what I reckon's probable? Yeah. Based on one of those trailers for the Blu-rays, I reckon an Ace series. Now, you see, I was going to start the conversation by saying I think there's going to be a version two of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Yeah. And 
I couldn't quite work out how to hang that off something. But what you've just said, I think they're ties in very, very well. And, and I think that RTD and the company and the people that he's working for have been very big all through their previous time at trying to ensure that there's a new generation of young fans mm-hmm. always coming through, that something you could argue that the show since RTD hasn't done quite as well. Yeah. And, and the Sarah Jane Adventures were a big part of that. As I said, I'm a huge admirer of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Had I been eight, nine, ten when they came out, mm-hmm. like that would have, I sort of lapped that up. That would have been amazing. Um, as it is as an adult, I sort of watched it go, this is really great kids' television. Exactly. It's it, it, kids' television, but it's really, really, really well done. I could see them wanting to refill that space. And look, Ace would be a really natural place to hang that off. So I think that makes sense. The one that I need in my life, Mm-hmm. I would like a modern version of the Terry Nation attempted Dalek SSS spin-off. Right. So, I don't know if listeners all remember, but there was a, an idea that he had of sort of, you know, Sarah Kingdom or Sarah Kim- Kingdom type agents fighting the Daleks in the year 4000. Mm-hmm. And I just think special agents fighting Daleks in the year 4000 just sounds like a really cool, fun adventure that you could do really, really well now. Yeah. Mine has actually already been done by Big Finish, and I mean, some people say that Big Finish is fan wank, so maybe it's because it is a fan <laughs> wank sort of thing. So maybe I'm on the right track when I say this, but it's it's Group Captain Gilmore, Rachel, and all those people from Remembrance of the Daleks mm. having adventures in the 60s, and you have that sort of cool 60s vibe, that sort of countermeasures group. Yeah, and certainly that idea of fighting monsters without the Doctor mm. is an interesting one. You know, I'm quite lucky, but sadly Caroline Gone isn't with us, but you know, Liz Shaw investigates. And um, yes. Bill Bagg's video did did a sort of a take on that. I can't remember what their, their range was called. But they did do one that had Liz Shaw back as a agent yeah. who, you know, fought super. Basically, basically, it was their version of the X-Files, you know, yeah, on, yeah. on a fraction of the budget. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there are a couple of things I'd, I'd like to do. Do you think that we will get a Torchwood 5? I think we could. If we get a Torchwood, it's going to be rebooted. I mean, I think it has to be A, because of Barrowman's issues, and B, because they killed off most of Torchwood anyway. They need new yeah. agents if, if they're in a modern era. So, yeah. Fair enough. Our third question. What made you want slash decide to team up for the show, and has your approach and even content changed over time? Ever any interstate rivalry too? And that is from Searching Soul 71. Ooh, what a loaded question. Uh we sometimes do some interstate rivalry, but I think it'd get boring if we did it all the time, so we don't do it. No, we occasionally sort of make a joke about sporting teams or the weather being better or yeah. or something, but no, I, I, no, no much more than any Victorian and New South Welshman in a room would, would sort of <laughs> job, job, job into the conversation. And I've been annoying lots of Sydney siders lately because I, I was here yesterday and I posted a nice picture of myself with the Sydney Harbour Bridge in the background and the Opera House mm-hmm. and, and the sun shining. I said, oh, it's not, not too bad. And... All the Sydney siders were like, you see our harbour's amazing. All the like, Look, it's good, but it's no San Francisco. And Ooh. that just, it just makes Sydney siders so angry to say that there's a harbour better than theirs. That's, that's correct. <laughs> oh, how did we get together? Robert, was your initiative because you, you, you started solo. That's right. I started the Doctor Who show as sort of a continuation of the Who Wars podcast, which was more of a magazine format where there'd be sort of segments stuck together with different people doing the segments. And so my concept for the Doctor Who show was that I'd kick off each episode talking to someone and then I'd have these magazine-y type things. And I think it was the third episode or the fourth episode I had you on, Dave. Yes. And after that, I thought... 
we got on really well in that conversation and Dave doesn't do a podcast. And at the back of my head, I kind of thought I wanted to have a partner to do the podcast with, but there was no sort of logical one after Who Wars ended to do it with. And then I thought, hang on, I think I might have just found someone to do the podcast with. And being in the same time zone was a big deal as well. That's another thing too, which thank you for reminding me of that too, because obviously so many of our uh, listeners and, and even just friends are overseas. So to have someone local who I bounced off with really well, I went to Dave and said, hey, would you like to do this? And to my great shock and surprise, he said yes. Well, I, I do recall that when I sort of got this message like, hey, I've got a proposal for you. Da, da, I sort of said, oh, look, um, you know, I'm very interested, but um, I don't really know you. And maybe we should have a phone call and just discuss what you want. And you, you sort of rang me and said, look, I, I don't really have an agenda. I just mm. I just want to just have a partner and just take this and see where it goes. And I, I, okay, that, that sounds like a kind of chill guy that I can get along with and it's not going to be, you know, his vision versus my vision yeah. and all that, that sort of thing. It's just like, let's just, you know, as, as I've said before, the Kevin Smith thing, like you just turn the microphone and say what you want to say and hope there's an audience out there. Exactly. And this is the start of our seventh year, so we're doing something right, Dave. Yes. <laughs> now, has our approach changed? I think we've learned a little bit more what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And certainly when we find something resonates with an audience we we lean into that and if we find that something doesn't we maybe lean away from that we've certainly learned that if you go very very niche it's better to do that as a bit of a special or a bit of yeah. a bit of an off thing so it's so the people that want to do that and, you know, and we can have that conversation so if it's about big finish or the new adventures or something we'll, we'll do that as a bit of a sort of to the side thing not make it the main the main podcast we've certainly learned that uh, we've got a lot better i think at audience participation mm-hmm. uh, we're a lot, lot more likely now to throw out our topics and stuff to the listeners on uh, Twitter yep. and, and sort of get that. So we've certainly grown in that sense, but I think philosophically, no. No, no. And um, the one thing I guess we did change a few years ago was we, we added the hot take reviews yes. into the mix. And uh, we did have a deal. I think I sort of imposed a deal <laughs> on us at the time. I said, if we get to the point where we're not having fun or one of us isn't having fun, mm-hmm. we, we, we'll stop. And, and, and I was sort of very much of the view I didn't want to take part in a set of reviews uh, where every week I just came on and said, hate that, hate that, I'm yeah. not happy, I'm not enjoying that. As I would, frankly, if we were doing reviews of, say, Series 6. Exactly. You know, and, and at that point I would say, you know what, Rob, I'm not having fun doing this and I don't think it's fun for the listeners. So I'm out. Yeah. And uh, and if you want to get another partner for that bit, you can. But so far we've, we've managed okay with those. We've done now Season of Class and... Four, four seasons, because we did the last Capaldi. Yeah, that's right. And we've done the three Jodies, so yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing okay, I think. All right, now I've got a question from Very Pete Lambert, who tweets at Professor Quite a Mess. He says, what Doctor Who opinion that you now hold would most surprise your pre-2005 reboot selves? Uh, so I've got two, an obvious one, maybe a slightly less obvious one. Mm-hmm. The, the, the obvious one is a female Doctor. Snap, snap. And, and, and I think I think that's why I say it is, it is an obvious one. Look, I'll be perfectly honest. In 2005, I was not remotely ready for the idea of a female Doctor. Uh, had they relaunched with a female Doctor back then, I probably would have dismissed the show. Really? Look, I, I think that I was worried that it was going to be a telemovie style, like just completely tonally off type yeah. reboot. And, and that's fine. But I think if they'd had, like, if they'd had an American doctor or a female doctor or anything that was just a bit too far from what was established, mm. that probably would have burned me quite quickly. Whereas by the time we got to Jodie, it's like, 
yeah, sure. Why, why not? There's, there's no good reason why not to. Yeah. The other one is that in 2005, I was very big on, yeah, this is a continuation. You have a loyalty to the continuity. The new Doctor, so the Eccleston Doctor as it was, should be the ninth Doctor, etc. Whereas now, I'm very big of the view that the smarter thing to have done would have been to reboot the series and made Christopher Eccleston the first Doctor. And the first time he meets the Daleks is the first time he and the audience meets the Daleks. And that could be on Scarrow or it could be somewhere else on there. And, the, and that means you can conceptually change them all. Davros doesn't have to have created the Daleks. And mm. you could bring the Master in. And when you introduce the Master, does he have to be... You know, you, you can change anything you want because it's a whole new series. And then you can have as many regenerations as you want. And you, you don't need to sort of have, well, 26-plus years of lore to go back on. Well, we and, did that to some degree, like with Cyber Cybermen. And, like, when they came out, I thought this is just bloody stupid, so... And I think going out halfway house, like, just didn't work with the Cybermen. Right. Whereas I think if you just said, no, this is the first series and it's a blank slate, so this is how the Cybermen were created, you go, okay, that's a different take, but it works. And it wasn't such a big deal when you had 26 years of continuity to go back on. Now they're into, what, the 13th series of the new show? Yeah. So you've got 40 series <laughs> of continuity to try and lay a show out, and that's, that's a lot. And I don't think it's a um, shock that a lot of the new Trek series are just going earlier and earlier and earlier into the Trek history. Yeah. So they're not saying, well, we've got to build on what TNG did and Toss did and Steve Trek's 90, what Voyager did, and they're going, well, we're before all of that. Yeah. So it's all, it's all fresh and it's all new, yeah. uh, with the exception of Picard, which obviously couldn't. But, uh, yeah, they're the two things that I've, I've changed my view on, I think. Yeah, and like I say, Snap, Female Doctor for me, even when Jodie was announced... I was like, I wish we weren't doing this, but I accept that we're doing this. So I was certainly not a not my doctor, I'm turning off, or I'm not going to give her a go, or any of that sort of awful stuff that was going on. But even as she was cast, I thought I, I would much prefer this as a guy because I was already thinking ahead to the future. What are you going to do with the next doctor if you cast a bloke? It looks like an experiment. You know, no matter what we know of what she's going to be like, it will look like an experiment. It'll be this sort of odd woman out sort of situation. Mm. How does this work? I was thinking all these Spanish things. Now I'm I'm more relaxed. I see a lot of people stressing about, will the next Doctor be a man or a woman? What's Russell going to pick? And people are very stressed that if he picks a bloke and if he picks a white bloke, it's going to be pandering to the not-my-doctor types, whereas I think maybe it's just the person he wants to pick. I think outside of very small segments of fandom, and particularly Twitter fandom, no one is really analysing the show that much. Certainly mm. the mass audience. The, the three, four, five million people that are turning in on a whatever night it's shown in the UK, they just, as long as the Doctor's good, they don't care, male, female, whatever. Yeah. I, I think that's that's kind of established. And, and look, I, I still have that, that the, the Devo reservation of it's just so rare but so important that young boys have a hero who is intellectual rather than physical. Yes. Uh, and, and, and I totally think that it's wonderful now that young girls have got that role model. And that's a really big thing that Jodie's pulled for the role. And we know that she's resonated with kids a lot more than she has perhaps with the adult audience. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful thing. So I'm, I'm not dismissing it because of that. But but always at the back of my mind is that thing of being being a nerdy kid who grew up with Doctor Who and like he was a, a role model who said it's good to be smart, it's good to ask questions and learn science and everything. I think that that's something that we lose with the female Doctor. But but we gain a female role model, so it's, you know, my loss other people's gains, and that's fine. I never felt he was exclusively a male role model anyway. 
to be honest. I mean, if you look at all the women who would cosplay Tennant or cosplay Smith or... Look, I think that that's true, but I think there is an extent to which people who are straight white males like to see someone representative of them as a hero on screen. Yeah, and, and, and certainly when you look at how female audiences embraced the Wonder Woman movies, how the African-American audience embraced the Black Panther movies, mm. and just said, you know, there's a hero that looks like me on the screen. Yeah, Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, the way that a, a movie like Love, Simon, you know, just said, no, we can have a movie with a gay lead that's yeah. almost irrelevant to the plot. And, like, that was a big deal for a lot of people. So I, I think it is a big deal, and I think that, that representation does matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've certainly turned around on that. But I think there's also a place for male doctors still as well. Very good. Uh, Anthony Carroll, who tweets at Carol Anthony, asks us, best era and doctor. I went first on the last one, so do you <laughs> want to go first here, Rob? Cause... Well, fittingly, I think today is still the 40th anniversary of Castrovalva going out, so I can tie that into my favourite doctor is the Davison doctor, but I'm not going to say he's the best era. As, as biased as I, as I should be on this, I'm, I'm still going to say it's probably like the Hinchcliffe era of Tom Baker, if, if we're saying what is the best era of Doctor Who. Yeah, and, and, and that's always interesting when you use the word best. Yeah. Are you asking an objective or subjective term? And look, no surprise to the audience. If you ask me what I think is the best era in my point of view, I'm going to say it's William Hartnell and the Hartnell era because yeah. I think that that is a wonderful, creative, well-written, well-acted era, and I think that's great. I would be absolutely outside reality if I said that objectively those first few seasons were the best of Doctor Who, and I think that objectively you have to say, if you're going to be tight, you've got to say the three years of the Hinchcliffe era. Yeah. If you want to be a little bit more generous and pull in some or all of the Perla era as well. Mm-hmm. But certainly that era where they're growing the show, the money's coming in from the colour licences, they've got a better idea of what works. It, it, it's That's really, really good. I think that the best of Perla is exceptionally good. Yes. But there's some duds in there. It goes a bit low. Mm-hmm. Whereas the thing that really sets the Hinchcliffe era apart, probably from any other era classical modern, is that the duds are still of very good quality. Yeah. And, in fact, I think we were having this conversation with a few of our friends on Twitter not long ago where we were sort of talking about, you know, what's better or worse, Planet of Evil or the Android Invasion. Mm. And um, I think I threw the hand of fear in there as well. And, 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 and we sort of said after a while, you know what, if the, if the three weakest stories of an era are Planet of Evil, the Android Invasion, mm-hmm. and the Hand of Fear, they're still pretty great <laughs> stories. So if that's your low then the quality of an era must be pretty good. So I've got to say the Hinchcliffe era as well. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and Doctor would be Hartnell? Do- Doctor would be Hartnell. If you're asking again objectively, I think the best actor to play the role is Troughton. Mm-hmm. I think that just in terms of his ability and depth as a character actor, he's the best. The most popular is either Tom, maybe Tennant now. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're up there, my favourites, obviously, Hartnell. Okay, uh, Martin Oates, beer is the answer, at MJP0007 on Twitter, that's quite a mouthful, uh, asks us, which story from the classic series would you choose to have animated? Doesn't have to be a lost one. So so I guess what what looks a bit crap and you'd rather see it in you, animation? You see, I started in a different place. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I started with what would just work as an animation, mm-hmm. and my gut instinct is the Happiness Patrol. Mm. And I just think of some really cool types of animation you could do there. And and maybe even like the Happiness Patrol done and go full yellow submarine on it. 
and just wow. make, it, make it this really sort of um, psychedelic, just yes. out there, you know, really weird sort of thing. I think that would work really, really, concept, really well conceptually. Uh, the next place I then went in my mind was what looks crap and could be could be done. Invasion of the Dinosaurs is a really obvious pick there. Yeah. Or, or alternatively, a couple of those big 60s sci-fi ones, something like The Invasion, mm-hmm. where you've got a fleet of cyber ships and you're meant to have hundreds of Cybermen storming London yeah. would work, work really well. And The Ark in Space is another one where I just think, I love The Ark in Space. It's a very watchable story. But the Wirren, the Wirren static... Mm-hmm. is a great design. The mm-hmm. moment they move, they are woeful. Yes. And, and those little tiny puppet women <laughs> being dragged across the arc in, when they do the outer space invasion, that is embarrassingly bad. Yeah. And I think women would look really, really well animated. So I've given, given you a few there. Um, yourself, Rob? I'll go in the direction of stuff that is missing and, and give the two obvious ones, which is Marco Polo. Yeah. I mean, the story's been out there as audio for so long. If anyone wants to hear it, they can. There are some lovely pictures from the set, even colour pictures from the set. Not colourised, not not Clayton Hickman colourised stuff, but actual real colourised, yes. oh, colour pictures, I should say. And I think that would just be a treat to for people to see properly. Uh, and also Dalek's Master Plan, of course. Yeah, look, that was another one that I just thought was maybe a bit too obvious. I'm glad you went there. Yeah. But again, Dalek's Master Plan done with basically an unlimited visual budget would be pretty stunning. Yeah. Another from Dylan Rees. Would you rather six episodes a year every year or 10 to 12 episodes every 18 months? Easy. Six episodes every year. Six episodes every year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a simple one. Just so we can just have that continuity of it coming out every April or every November or whenever it wants to come out, but it just comes out on the dot and you can set your watch to it. I'd rather that. I, I like the idea that you're never more than a year from the next piece of Doctor Who. Yeah. And I think that's that's really, really important and really, really useful. And there's no reason why it can't be done. The, the BBC has got the money and the talent and the ability to do that if they want to do it. They've chosen to prioritise other things. That's fine. That's their remit. But I think that, yeah, I'd, I'd much rather have a slightly few episodes regularly. That's an easy one for me. Exactly. And also, I think less episodes... Uh, I mean, it didn't exactly happen with Flux, but maybe less episodes might hone the, the mind a bit more of the, the script uh, editor and producer at the time or the showrunner just to produce six bangers rather than six bangers and four also runs. Yeah, it reminds me of a comment that Andrew Cartwell made in the documentary about season 26 and sort of moving on and doing season 27. And he was talking there about, well... By that stage, I had a big, talented pool of writers. And so you say, well, Ben Aronovich does a script, and you get Rhonda Munro back to do a script, and you get Ian Briggs to do a script. You know, and then he might write, write a script himself, or, yeah. or you know, you get, and then he said, but, you know, you've only got four slots. So by the time you've asked six or seven people to give us your best pitch, the four you're going to pick are going to be pretty good picks. Yes. And I think that's the same if you've got six episodes. If you By the time you've said, right, what are our six best ideas? And you've eliminated a whole bunch of others that, that might have been made in a longer series. Mm-hmm. You've hopefully got six really great scripts to yes. pick from. Yes, you've burned it down in the crucible, Dave. <laughs> you've, you've burned yeah. it down to its core essence. Cool. So we have one here from Andy Taylor at Bodge77. If a multiverse-style production of Who happened, would you be happy to see recast remakes of lost stories? No. No. I would rather see new stories. I guess if it's a multiverse, though, this is a addition to the main series, though. Yeah, but we're still retreading ground we've yeah. trod. 
you know, like pick pick an old story. Uh, Pat, what's a what's a Pat story? Inv- invasion. We're talking about invasion earlier. Uh, is it intellectually interesting to see a different doctor do the invasion with better special effects? I guess it is, but we've done that story. We we know what happens, and then unless you're going to change it profoundly, what's what's the point? You know? Yeah, I, I guess at that point, if you're the creative team, you start to go, okay, well, let's say we're doing the invasion. Do you make it basically eight 25-minute things with basically the same story and all the rest, rest of it? Do you set it in 1970-something? Yeah. Or do you set it in 2025? And if you're setting it in 2025, it's a whole different thing. And the idea of like, hey, we've invested in transistor radios. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> is, is, you know, you've got to find what's the 2025 version of that. Yeah. And... At that point, do you start to lose something from it? You know, do you have the character of Vaughn being the same sort of thing, or do you try and reimagine them? Do you have a more diverse cast? Do you say, well, right, well, we're going to have the invasion, but now Packer is a woman? Yeah. Uh, or Isabel Watkins is Indian. Do you start to do that sort of stuff? And at what point have you creatively basically made a new story anyway that you mm-hmm. might as well just have made a new story? Yes. Uh, or if you're trying to be genuinely honest and reflective of the originals... I mean, I can't imagine ever, as a fan, looking at somebody doing Patrick Drown's lines and being happy that they're as good as or really worthy of Patrick Drown. Mm-hmm. Is that a problem for the mass audience who probably haven't watched The Invasion? No. But again, if you're trying to appeal to them, why are you bothering to remake The Invasion? Exactly. So, so I think we're kind of, in many ways, saying no. Mm. I'm definitely saying no. Yeah, I think we are. <laughs> One from the Human Palindrome at Mark Cockrum. I think this is one with the name and the handle are inverted, Mark. I like that. Would you rather have the Delaware arrangement of the theme as your ringtone and it's stuck on maximum volume or sit through the entirety of Dimensions in Time with someone who, up until this point, respects you and thinks you're pretty cool? Look, that's easy for me. I would go the latter. Really? Because then I'm only losing potentially the respect of one person. <laughs> Whereas with the ringtone, potentially like there's work colleagues, there's family, mm. there's a lot of people that could, that could be quite embarrassing for. But also, if you played it right, yeah. okay, you have to watch Dimensions in Time with someone. There's no reason why you can't sit there bagging up with them. True. So you, you, you may be able to say, hey, this is really terrible. And you know, even Doctor Who fans hate this. Let's have a laugh at this really bad stuff and who's this not Lidman's guy and all, all, all that sort of thing. So I think worst case, you lose one friend. Mm-hmm. The ringtone, as I say, like I don't want the Delaware theme of my ringtone going off while I'm in a meeting at work. Right. So you, you were surprised my answer there, Rob. So Yeah, I'm, I'm you, going in the opposite direction. You're going direction. in the opposite direction. Yeah, because there are so many people I know with obnoxious ringtones, I want something to combat that. And so if this retro-sounding, weird-sounding mm-hmm. Doctor Who music starts up on my phone, I think that would just be awesome and just have people as annoyed at me as I'm annoyed at them. Uh, but more seriously, did you know that that theme, although they say it was never used, actually got used on a couple of Australian episodes? Yes, I remember watching it. There you go. Uh, I think it's Carnival of Monsters, one of those. That would be one of them. And a Frontier in Space, one of those, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Yes, I, I do remember watching them, and I think having one as an off-air dub. Um, so, yes, I do remember them coming out here. Yeah, basically the story is they, they added it to the show, shipped the episodes off, and then I guess decided not to use it, but it was too late for the episodes that have been shipped here. Yes, yes. So, uh, no, it was something that I was just aware of. There's a, there's a really strange version of the theme, and, and it is terrible. I think it's really retro and cool. 
<laughs> it lacks any base or depth, and I think well, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. So, so the question then to ask, given that you have opted for that ringtone, mm-hmm. what is your ringtone? Ah, it's well, we can't actually play it now because we're using my phone to record this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really uh, funky space sort of theme. It's it's a, it's a preset. On the the iPhone. So it's one that anyone can find. And it just makes me think of like a really funky 70s sci-fi show. I'll play it for you later. Uh, Mine is the keyboard riff from the Pet Shop Boys, You're Always On My Mind. Is it? Nice. About every year I change it to a different pop song of different eras. Just just a bit of a riff from a pop song that I go, that's my phone. Okay. Did you isolate that yourself or did you download it? No, I downloaded it as a ringtone. Perfect. Okay, we now have a question from Oscar Groucho, who tweets at Oscar Groucho's. He says, what made the Chibaker era, and I guess that's Chibnall and Whitaker, uh, <laughs> resonate so much for some, yet out of vogue with a wider audience? Changing televisual landscape, streaming advent, inconsistent characterization, none of the above. Approaching the end, it's curious to look back and reflect. I think it's a bit of all of that. Yeah. I think one of the biggest problems the Chibnall era always was going to have is that it was coming in 10-plus years into the run of the show and 50-something years into the run of the full show. Yes. And I think there was always going to be a certain level of fatigue and there's always going to be a certain amount of what can we do this time and, and sort of searching for those new ideas. And that, that makes it tough. It's, it's just not the new, fresh thing for the audience, which is always going to be tough. And I think the streaming thing is important because there is now so much television mm-hmm. out there. And I know that perhaps myself, and I know where you are in this rub with your viewing habits, but I'm no longer a viewer of appointment television. No. Uh, the only time I would watch the actual TV, and I could turn on the TV and find a terrestrial channel, is the news or sport. Yeah. Outside of that, the idea of you tune in at 8.30 on a Monday and you see this show just doesn't exist in my world anymore. Yeah. 90% of what I watch is streaming stuff. Yes. Uh, you know, I've, I've got Netflix, I've got Amazon, I've got Stan, uh, I've got Disney, and I'm sure I've got others. Um, I have culled a couple in the last couple of months because it was getting ridiculous, but... And there's not enough time to watch them all. There's not enough time to watch them all. So I, you... I know a show I've told you to watch consistently for the last three years and you still haven't watched it. No, and there, there are shows that I've wanted to watch for multiple years yeah. and, and I still can't watch it. Yeah. Uh, there are shows that I try to keep in that regular thing of at least watching them weekly, but even that might be okay. I know that it comes out at 6pm on a Friday in the US and I'll try to watch it in the next 48 hours. Yeah. Something like The Mandalorian would yes. be a great example of that. There are other ones that come out as a binge thing and you go, right, well, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to try to watch the episodes of the new season of the great or yeah. something like that. But the point is with so much television out there, you can find shows that are really, really well attuned to your sensibilities and what you want. Mm-hmm. So it's exactly the level of bizarreness that you want, exactly the level of seriousness that you want. It's got the cast that you really like. Yeah. And if you watch a show and it's not absolutely perfect, I often find I go, look, this isn't bad, but there's four or five other shows I want to watch that are really good. Yes. So, so this not bad show that... Back in the old day, if you know these four shows were being shown at seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock on a night, you just watch the four of them. That's right. Whereas now you go, well, that, I can let that one go for a bit. I'm, I might come back to that. Three years later, you realise you haven't. So it's very easy to give up on a show. Which once was anathema to, to me to, to give up on a show or stop reading a book or, yes. or anything like that. Now I, do, I did it with Netflix the other day. I, I found something called like 
Saturday morning fun time, and it's like this piss take of Saturday morning kids shows in the US in the 90s yeah. or the late 80s. And the first minute of it was funny. And then it was just deeply unfunny for the next 10 minutes. And I just turned it off. And I thought, I'm never going to watch this again. Yeah. Because I can. Yeah, that, that's right. So it's Doctor Who is up against a lot more competition. Yes. So so there, there are, I, I, I guess, the the nice things we can say about why the Chibnall era maybe hasn't got the ratings or the viewers. Yes. Are there problems with the show as well? Look, you and I have said continually, Chibnall doesn't write well. Not that he writes badly, and when he hits the nail, particularly with co-writers, he's really, really good, and there's some great episodes we've enjoyed. But that very leaden, exposition-led, tell-don't-show mm-hmm. stuff, I think has been probably the biggest lead weight around the era. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got another point to make there, but I'll, I'll let you jump in, Rob. I'll say that I think the audience is to blame in some ways because the modern pop culture audience seems to determine what they like and what they don't like before they even see things. And I think there's a good part of the audience that decided they liked the Whitaker career before they saw it. I think there's also a part of the audience that decided they didn't like it before they saw it. Yeah. And those two parties have just warred ever since based on what they decided they liked five years ago when she pulled that hoodie off and, and walked towards the, the pretend TARDIS in the woodland and nothing's really changed there. So there's part of the audience who I think is to blame for reactions, good and bad, to the show as well because of this weird war that exists in pop culture these days. Yeah, and, and, and going back to one of the earlier questions that we were discussing or, or, or the, a topic we riffed off on the earlier questions with the different type of doctors, male, female, old, young, you know, all, all that sort of thing, the broadening of who can play the Doctor is in some ways, as we said, a really good thing. It casts the talent pool for actors and actresses who can play the role far, far more widely. That's a really good thing. It allows for much more representation in the show. That's a really good thing. But it also means that the choice of Doctor can have a much different impact on whether you're enjoying the show or not. Mm. And what works for some might not work for others. Back in the day where you sort of had consistently older male characters, you know, Hartnell, Trout and Pertwee sort of, and then Tom was a bit younger and a bit different, but still in the same vein. Yeah. Davo was sort of, again, there was a bit of a pushback with Colin and then McCoy. You, you had a very sort of Edwardian gentleman vibe across all of the classic Doctors. So you were never too far away from each other. Yeah. Even a big contrast like Tom to Davo to Colin yeah. was still at least in a, in, in a universe, whereas Smith to Capaldi to Whitaker are light years from each other. Yeah. And I think there were, we, we, well, we know there were people who got into Doctor Who with David Tennant. Mm-hmm. They stayed for Matt Smith. Then Peter Capaldi was cast. They're like, well, that's not a Doctor. Doctors are under 30, young and hot. Yeah. And Peter Capaldi, well, he's, he's older than 30. Mm-hmm. And we can at least say that. And, and a lot of people kind of switched off at that. And it wasn't who they wanted. But there are other people who are like, oh, that's what I'd like in a Doctor. So I'm coming back on board. And you know, we even had that, that terrible phone call from the Smith Doctor to... Um, <laughs> To, to Clara, like it's okay to have an old doctor, ladies and boys yeah, and girls. Yeah. You know, when we when you go to that level of like it's okay if the doctor's old now, that's fine. You then find a female doctor, and it's harder, I think, for doctors to find their audience. I think so too. I think you're quite right that when the doctors were a certain thing in the past, well, that's just what they were, and you either watched it or you don't. Now the audience, not just in Doctor Who, but in many shows, feels they have some sort of ownership over the show, and they will have a preferred doctor whether it's female, whether it's a white male, whether it's an Asian, whether it's a disabled person, whether yeah. it's transgender. 
And if the next doctor is not any one of those things, they will have a full-on attack about it, which in back in the day I don't think would have happened because the doctor was just the doctor and you weren't expecting that it could be anyone different in those ways. Yeah, and, and there are strings and roundabouts. As I say, you know, Smith brought in an audience that other doctors probably wouldn't have. Yeah. Jody has brought in an audience that other doctors wouldn't have. Did they lose audiences? Yeah. Probably, yes. I mean, I mean, as I say... Smith to Capaldi is two straight white men, so I'm not comparing anything particularly out of the, uh, you know, the the, mm. the representational circle, but just that difference in age was enough for audiences to, or some audience to go, I don't like that, I'm switching off. Yeah. And for others to go, finally, a doctor that's what I think a doctor should be, I'm switching back on. Yeah. Um, I he, he bled off millions in his tenure, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which you know, is a shame. So I, 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 I have Capaldi as one of my two favourite. Um, modern doctors. I think yeah. he was really, really good. He he is what I I kind of I guess as an old school fan think about as well. But you know, often your favourite doctor or the doctor that you resonate with was the one that was there when you were a particular age. Yes. Whereas now, and, and, and so you know, you could be a Pertwee kid or a Tom Baker kid or a Colin kid, but you'll all sort of see it in the same sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas now, if you're somebody who discovered who with Tennant, you think that's the doctor. Or if you discovered who with Capaldi, you think that's the doctor. Exactly. Or Jodie, and there are going to be people who now who have found the show with Jodie, have loved Jodie's Doctor, and when the next Doctor is not Jodie, and I don't know what they'll be, whether it's an older woman, a younger man, mm-hmm. uh, Ollie Alexander, yeah. the woman who plays the Ruth Doctor, um, Joe Martin. Joe Martin, thank you. Yes. You know, Joe Martin. Like there are people who are going to go, well, Joe Martin's not Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. Um, there are others who are going, to go, oh, you know, this is fantastic. We've got a um, ethnically black woman Doctor. This is amazing. Some people will go, but she's not Jodie Whittaker. So I think I think there are so many more complexities in the modern television world, and the show is always up against all of them. And Chibnall's exposition dead weight, and that's probably a bigger problem as well. But but the idea of people tuning in on a particular slot on a Saturday or Sunday evening to watch a show is slowly dying, yeah. and that's just a reality. Yeah, I agree. Okay, next up, Hayden Gribble from the Diddly Dumb Podcast at Hayden underscore Gribble asks us, if you're in charge of the Blu-ray collection range, which season would you bring out next and why? Uh, look, my gut instinct is season one and or season two. Yeah. Because they're two of my favourite seasons with many of my favourite stories and I would like to see a 60s release come out. Yes. I'd love to see season six on Blu-ray. I think that's a great season. Most of the stories exist, so that can kind of come out and we won't feel as though we're missing a lot. Um, if it's got to be a complete season, then look, season seven is my favourite season. Yeah. Four fantastic stories. And I'd love to see some of the touch-up work they've done on that. You know, Spearhead from Space on Blu-ray is going to look phenomenally good. Mm-hmm. Inferno properly cleaned up and really brought out as a crisp show, phenomenally good. People can realise an ambassador of death is really almost as good as all the others in that season. <laughs> and, of course, The Solar End is my favourite story, so... I think there's a lot to look forward to in the Blu-ray of season seven, but mm. I, I want to see I want to see a '60s set come out. I think a black and white has got to come out sooner than later. They can't surely do the last six the or last whatever. Six, just yeah. as all black and whites. That that would just be weird, you know. I think they've got to start seeding them in. So I think you're right. I'm going to just say season twenty because I love Davo and I believe they've recorded all the bits for it. They just need to put the damn thing out. Yeah, but but this is as you say the problem. I I, I think. It is now heavily rumoured, shall we say, mm-hmm. that season 22 is going to be next, which will complete the Colin Era Bar Twin Dilemma. Yeah. Davo, so Davo's only had one come out, has he? Yeah. 
Okay, so we're, we're due another day, but that's fair. But yeah, we could sort of be finishing the whole fifth, sixth, seventh Doctor eras yes. before we start the first or the second. Yeah. I, I think that's a problem. And, and look, I get that it's because there is an assumption that animations will be part of these releases. Yes. I personally couldn't give a hoot. Really? I, I, I'm very happy to say these are box sets of the existing filmed bits of Doctor Who. And if you want animations, they stand alone as add-ons you can get. Mm. I, I don't feel the need for season one to have an animated Marco Polo. I just want the existing stories. And if they animate Marco Polo, I will buy that as its own animation. Uh, the same with season six. You know, if I'm, I'm happy to have all those existing stories and I, I guess the animated episodes of Invasion on the Invasion. I, I don't need an animated Space Pirates for that box set. Mm-hmm. If that's done, I'll buy that. I'll watch it. It can be its own separate thing. I'm very happy for the two not to mix. I get that some fans want them all to be together. Yeah. Given the delays, I think that must be the plan. I'd say so. But yeah, give us give us some sixties who. What if they leave a, a empty slot in the box set so that if Marco Polo comes out in the future, you can just buy that Blu-ray and then put the disc in your box set? Yeah, look that that makes sense. I'm I'm happy with anything like that, but yeah, that's my view. Alright, now we have Pete Murphy at Pop Scene sixty nine. You've been asked to take part in an original Doctor Who drama podcast, but you've got to create your own new companion. Who or what would you play? So we've got to create a companion. Who we're playing. Who we're playing. Yeah. I think I'd have to play an Australian because I can't really do accents. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> an interesting... So, so I was sort of thinking, okay, well, what, what immutable attributes do we kind of have to have? Well, those two. So I guess our companions both have to be male. Yeah. They both have to be about the age that we are. Um, We can probably get away with playing five to seven years younger than we each are, but... Unless I do my Devo voice and and go up here. No. No? (laughs) That would get very annoying very quickly. (laughs) Okay. Um, You know, neither of us are going to be playing a (laughs) 20-year-old. Sadly. No, neither of us are going to be playing a 60-year-old either. Uh, You know, we're going to be playing somebody sort of in that 35 to 45 range, Mm. which would be interesting. Will I want to play an Australian or... Where I want to have some fun. Yeah, maybe I want to do a broad Boston accent. Really? Yeah, you know, that, that could be fun. Holy God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so maybe someone from Boston, Red Sox fan. Yeah. I like the idea of someone, I'm going to say someone in the US Air Force. Yeah. Maybe wanted to get into the space program, never got into the space program. Mm-hmm. And also oh. sort of has that whole thing going. Maybe he's a very, become a very jaded character because of that yes and the doctor shows in the universe and gets them to feel hope and wonder again yeah uh, yeah i think that's where i'm gonna go all right i i i've got to stick with australian because of the accent i think i'll do the the typical laconic aussie bloke who <laughs> isn't very phased by things <laughs> so a dalek exterminates someone i just go oh bloody hell <laughs> look at that <laughs> you know and uh, maybe maybe quite practical. Maybe uh, I know some bushcraft, things like that. That could come in handy. Tying knots and things. Do you see that as being the companion or part of a team? Like, so would 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 your laconic practical Aussie yes. be bouncing off a twenty-year-old, excitable, impractical English type traditional companion? Something like that. Yeah, some, something that. Think of Indiana Jones and Mutt. In the fourth Indiana Jones film, where they're in the the milk bar, and Mutt wants to get up and have a fight, and Indy's like, just sit down, you know, relax, yep. come on. 
that kind of vibe. Is it an Aussie Graham? It probably is an Aussie Graham, isn't it? Graham, isn't it? I even have the wardrobe for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I, I mean, now that they got older, I say older, you know, older being post-25. Yes. You know, I mean, I think Doctor Who Companions are generally under 25 for the history of the show, but but we are now breaking that that, that thing with Graham and Dan and all the rest of it. So there is a... There is a role for people like us. Maybe our calling is still to come. Still to come. We have another from Dylan Rees. Tomorrow, the BBC announced the 60th anniversary will see every classic Doctor return. Do you want to see, one, old men in ill-fitting costumes, two, badly rendered de-aged CGI, three, archive footage as per day of the Doctor, four, suitable actors recast in the part, five, a mix of all of the above, I'm going to go six, my own different idea. <laughs> right. Uh, and I say my own, but it's actually stolen from Sylvester McCoy because he raised this before the 50th. Yeah. Which is that you get the actors who've played former Doctors in, but they play something completely random and almost incidental. Right. So they have to check in at a hotel and the receptionist is Peter Davison. Yeah. They have to go to a government agency and the advisor there is Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. yeah. They check into a car park and the guy doing the tickets is Colin Baker. You know, that sort of thing. Which is what they do in, in the Big Finish audio Zagreus. Oh, there you go. Which is an Eighth Doctor story, and it's it's a big sort of celebratory story, and it's got Davo, I think he was a, a vicar or a reverend or something like that in it. And yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's the way I would want to do it. I, I think we are past the point where getting classic Doctors back, certainly, it's, it would just be ridiculous. Mm. And I don't think, I don't think we need it. I think we've moved past that point as fandom now at this stage. Do do we really want that? I recall an interview that Tim McInerney did a little while ago where people said, you know, people always ask me, are we going to do a Blackout of Five? And for 10 years after we finished Blackout, he said, yeah, that we were always really, sort of very keen. Like, you know, if the right idea came along, we're yeah. all free, we'll, we'll do Blackout of Five. But now it's 30 years later. Yeah. People don't want to see that. They, they want to see us as we were in the 1980s. Exactly. They don't want to see us as we are in the 2020s. And... I mean, I mean, the way that Tom Baker was done in Day of the Doctor was perfect. Mm-hmm. It's Tom Baker. It wasn't the fourth Doctor. They weren't trying to make him the fourth Doctor. No. It's just Tom Baker. And you go, cool, Tom Baker's on screen. I think that's the way to do it. And um, those Doctors who passed on, do you have, you know, a, a photo of them in the, in the background or something? Or do you just have Patrick Chan's recorder is sitting on a desk somewhere? Mm. Just little nods like that. Yeah. I would be much happier with than any of the options suggested but i've been talking a lot yeah look there, there are ways to fudge some of this stuff i mean the de-aged stuff it would look dodgy if you just de-aged davo and had him on screen but if he was de-aged and then put on a a viewfinder which was small and maybe it was a monochrome viewfinder with some static on it <laughs> that sort of hides the 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 look a bit and it sort of fudges things so there are sort of ways you can do that stuff, but I'd rather we don't go down that track. Yeah, it, it could be done. Certainly the digital technology to sort of drop doctors in from, you know, take take the doctor from the invasion of time, cut him out and drop him in. But I honestly don't need it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just don't. And, and, yeah, maybe just have the actors involved in the background somewhere, uh, like they did with An Adventure in Space and Time where William Russell is playing security guard and yes. Caroline Ford plays the mum. And it's blinking you miss him. Like, that, that, that 
voice calling the kids in said, oh, my God, it's Caroline Ford. How wonderful. And she's gone. Yeah. Like, it's just a moment. Of, so those who know, know. Yeah. And, I, and that's how I would do it, Dylan. Yeah. All righty. Comic pseudonym at Chat With Wings says, what TV shows would you like to do an alternate Galaxies episode about? And are there shows that only one of you would want to do? Oh. So this is this is the hard part of alternate galaxies because it requires both of us to, at the very least, watch the show. And like it. And <laughs> and, and liked it and have something in depth to say. Yeah. And yeah, there are some shows I watch and I, I even enjoy them, but I don't have that many profound things to say, to be honest. No. Um, Richard and I have often talked about doing one about the bill. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if it was the case in the UK, but I know a lot of fans in Australia, the bill was very ubiquitous with Doctor Who. It was just another one of those on all the time ABC series, very British, very drama based. Yeah. Uh, you know, characters like Burnside were very similar to that sort of, you know, Chris Boucher, Bidmead, Holmes type character. And and I think Richard and I are both big fans of sort of classic Bill, those first sort of 16 seasons, and have talked about doing that. I would love to do something with the Treks because I'm quite a Trek fan, but you're not. Not hugely. And um, not enough to go in-depth with them. Trek, you know, like you couldn't do an alternative galaxies on Trek. No. Because there's about a thousand episodes. Yeah. I think, look, to be fair, I own the uh, the Blu-rays of Next Generation. Yeah. Where they went back and cleaned them up and yeah. got the film elements and made them look a million times better. And I've watched all of Next Generation. Yeah. You know, so it's not like I'm not a, not a Trek person, but... No, I wouldn't do an alternate galaxy. No, if I said to you, do your top five next gens. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, <laughs> the one and, with the Borg. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And certainly, if, you know, we get down to classic Trek or Deep Space Nine. Like, so I, 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 I want to find it. And one of the things that's sort of on my, my long-term to-do list podcast-wise is to to do something podcasty with Trek, whether it's a series of alternate galaxies on those series or mm-hmm. maybe a bit of a spin-off or, or something. I don't know. But... I would like to talk about Trek more. There are series we could probably do, like Red Dwarf, but it's been so long since I've watched them, I'd have to watch them all again. We've thrown Red Dwarf up a couple of times, and if we did Red Dwarf 1 to 6, I'm there and could talk very, very intelligently about them. Yeah. The further you get from Series 6, the less I can say about them. Series Mm. 7, I watched at the time, hated it. I watched again a couple of years ago, still hated it. Um, Series 8... I watched most of it at the time. Uh, I watched again, but I did a rewatch a couple of years ago, and it was better than I remembered. But yeah. you know, I've watched it twice in twenty years. And then when you get to the more recent sort of old Red Dwarf, uh, you know, ones, um, I've seen a number of episodes of each season. I haven't seen any season in its entirety, mm. and all, all the ones I have seen, I've watched once. So again, if if, if we could do Red Dwarf one to six. Yeah. I'm there. Yeah. Um, Firefly, I'd like to do something on sometime. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Um, Short enough to rewatch. It, it's very easy to rewatch. <laughs> that is that is very, very helpful. Uh, they're probably the big ones for me. What about you? I think of stuff that came out in the 70s and 80s and maybe even stuff on an anime slant, you know, like, I don't know, Star Blazers or something, which I know quite well. And I haven't but, seen. But you haven't seen. So this is what the question is. You know, what ones would you like to do, but you probably can't? I think Star Blazers, the animation, would be good. Astro Boy, you would have seen. The, the 80s Astro Boy. The 80s Astro Boy. Big fan of the 80s Astro I've, Boy. I've got the box set of that. I could rewatch that, for example. Yeah, we, we would definitely do that. You know, so these are both animations, and there would be more animations that I'm thinking of. You love Lost Cities of Gold. Yes. For example. I'd go in an animation direction. 
Yeah, to be okay. I've never done a full proper rewatch of Astro Boy, hmm. but I have gone back. I've, I, I bought I, I bought a couple of the DVDs. Like, oh, there's two or three episodes I really remember well on that one, and yeah. now they're all on YouTube or iTunes yeah. or everything. So I've sort of every so often I dip in and go, I want to see that Astro Boy again. And some of them you watch again and you go, that's really good. Yeah. Others you sit there and you go, Ooh, yeah. that's not great. <laughs> um, and there are certainly other shows that from my childhood, like you know, your Inspector Gadgets and your yes. where you sit there and you go, I have really fond memories of watching that. And you watch it again and you go, this is the most formulaic tosh ever. <laughs> this is terrible television. So there's certainly stuff like that. But, yeah, look, Trek, The Bill, Firefly would be ones that I would be keen to do. And yeah, Red, Red, Red Dwarf, if we can cap it out of time. I'll throw in Robotech as well. Again, animation. Yeah, and again, one that's I barely know. So mm. this is the problem with picking them. And, and this is why we, we do occasionally do them with, with, with guests. Yes. So as I said, I think Richard and I will do a Bill podcast, not sorry, a Bill episode, really, really well. Um, I know Mark from Diddly Dumb is keen to do one on The Secret Army now that I've watch mm, that for the first time yes um he, he originally said it'd be great to do a you know journey type podcast to do one for each episode and i said well how many eps 43 eps yeah that's a, that's and, a good journey and, 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 and different time zones so either one of us is staying up late or one of us is getting up early every episode yeah um but but i did sort of say to him well maybe we could do an alternate galaxies on that um so that might be something we'll do mm. uh, which is getting away again from the the sci-fi genre but it is in that very classic british tv genre but yeah like let us know, audience, what you would like to see. Like, how broad are you happy for us to throw that net? Would mm. you would you like to see an Astro Boy? Would you like to see the Bill? Or, sorry, do you just want, you know, proper sci-fi? Yeah. Uh, Dylan Reese again. The gods of Ragnarok demand a sacrifice. One of these must be expunged from all of time and space for the sake of the gods' entertainment. One, every Doctor Who podcast. Two, every issue of DWM. Three, all of Big Finish. Which one will you wipe from existence? Oh, that's hard. That's hard. So I'm going to work through this. I, I've got a way to work through it, but you go. Okay. So look, I was going to say I'm the first thing I'm saving are the podcasts mm-hmm. because I think that is in many ways for a lot of fans the modern way of fandom interacting. Yeah. It's, it's for fandom now what clubs were when we were first joining fandom in the 80s and yes. the 90s. Back in those days, you'd get together with a bunch of like-minded fans, you'd watch episodes, you'd talk about them, you'd riff on other subjects, yes. and that was your engagement with fandom. You'd read newsletters, yes. all, all that sort of thing. Now, this is this is how I mean, we're doing it now. Exactly. We've, we've got people from literally across the world giving us topics and giving us opinions, and, and that's a really important way to do it. And there is a podcast vibe and theme and tone for every type of fan out there. There are millions of Doctor Who podcasts and I think that that's a really important engagement element. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to save podcasts. Yep. The choice then of Big Finish or DWM mm-hmm. is the tough one I may throw over to you because which one would I personally keep mm-hmm. is a clear, clear choice. Which one do I think the majority of fandom would rather keep and is of better benefit to fandom is probably the alternate choice. So what, I think I know where you're going then. Yeah, so what, what do you think here, Rob? I would chuck Doctor Who magazine. And I say that as someone who, out of the first 500 issues, owns probably about 450 of them. Yeah. So don't think that I don't not rate Doctor Who magazine, but I think, especially in this day and age where the circulation was about 20,000 some years ago, I think now it's 15,000 or less. 
that's not very many people to be reaching. You add up how many people all these podcasts are reaching, and it's more. Yeah. You think of how many people listen to Big Finish. I'm quite sure more than 15,000 people listen to Big Finish. I don't think it's a huge amount who listen to Big Finish, but I reckon it's more than 15,000. Yeah, and the other thing is there are issues of DWN that I have that occasionally for nostalgic reasons I go back and like, I remember reading this when I was 12 and it's really lovely. That's not the same as going back and listening to a Big Finish story from 10 years ago, which is a story and it's a sense of drama. So whilst I would quite like to keep my DWM collection, frankly, for nostalgia's sake, I I think that that is a selfish choice and the correct choice is to ditch DWM and let the people enjoy Big Finish, including us from time to time, you you more than me, Let, let those adventures continue and the work of those artists continue. Yeah, yeah. So I'll have to stop doing primary sources. Yeah, that is is a good point. (laughs) Right, the guys at 42 to Doomsday are back at 42 to Doomsday on Twitter. Lads, Pamela Nash has turned on the furnace. The conveyor belt is running. Three piles of tapes are heading towards the flames. Marco Polo, the evil of the Daleks, and Fury from the Deep. You can only save one. Which will it be? Wow. It's an easy one for me. All right, what's your answer? Marco Polo. Oh, okay. Not that we really have it on tape, but I guess we're sort of fantasising that we have it. Well, I, I think we have we, the audio. I think we're saying that we found the three piles of tapes. Yes. But Pamela Nash is going to burn two of them. Okay. So. Marco Polo. And I know that sounds like I'm, I'm saying that because that's the one I've seen the least of because it's not an animation yet, etc., etc. But I, I've never been that big into Fury from the Deep. Evil of the Daleks is an excellent Dalek story, but of the two, I'd rather the historical. So I'd go Marco Polo. Look, I'm also eliminating Fury first. Not that I don't like Fury. I would love to see Fury. I think it would be an amazing story to see on television. Mm. You've always said that. But but the other two are a level above that in terms of my desire. Um, I love Marco Polo. It's a top ten story. I think it would look amazing to see. But mm. Evil of the Daleks is a big deal story. Yeah. It's got that big climatic battle with the Emperor in the throne room. It's, it's a big part of Doctor Who legend. And I suspect I'd probably rather say that, or do I go really strategic? Mm-hmm. And I think, well, I can save seven episodes, so I'll save one, two, six, seven of Marco Polo, <laughs> six and seven of Evil, so I've got that big conclusion of Evil. Yes. Um, so, and then the middle two episodes of Marco Polo, the weaker ones, I mean, they're good, but the, the setup and the, the, the end is better. And then... Maybe the climactic episode of Fury from the Deep. So I've then got seven episodes, which is the equivalent of saving Marco Polo. I'm not sure they're going to allow that, but well, let, let's just say. Well, well it's, they're not here, so tough. <laughs> good, good. Uh, Searching Soul 71 at Curious Sub 71 says, following on from my earlier question, which Doctor Who items would you pick for Desert Island Discs and 42 to Doomsday included, which podcasts would you take? So I'm going to set the rule mm-hmm. that I can take him in a suitcase the size of the suitcase there, like a practical okay. suitcase, which kind of probably rules out the target novels. Yes. I think, that, you know, I mean, that would be an obvious thing to take 160-odd target novels, but I think that's not a desert island take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to say the Virgin New Adventures. Okay. I'm assuming I don't have a DVD player, so there's no point taking the Blu-rays or anything <laughs> like that. The David Bates Cyberman book is something I love and would enjoy and can read and read again. Mm-hmm. 
you have a couple of goes while I keep thinking. Well, I've been thinking on the podcast side of things, and I'm deliberately not going to mention Doctor Who podcasts because as soon as I mention some and I don't mention others, yes. someone will get their nose out of joint. It's not because I don't listen to them or don't like them, and it just becomes a whole thing. Yep. So for podcasts, I'm going to say I'll take Hardcore History, which is one of my favourite podcasts um, out there. Each episode is about three, four, five hours long. So when you take a whole bunch of episodes, you have hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of, of stuff to listen to. That would be that would be the podcast I would take, Hardcore History. In terms of Doctor Who items, I think, I mean, there are toys and stuff, but you're not going to play with toys. I think it's got to be books or something mm. like that. So maybe the Eighth Doctor Adventures or yep. something. I'll relive my time with those. It's maybe similar to you reading the... Yeah, seventh doctor. Yeah, and, and probably to, to round out the suitcase, then the House Amazon Walker uh, era books. Oh, they're good. Not not the 60s, 70s, 80s, the ones they did of each doctor. Oh, those the little paperback the, ones. Little paperback ones, because yes. that, that, that's quite a lot of material, and it's probably as good a set of condensed references you need. So you can learn all the production numbers and yeah, things all, like that. All of that sort of thing. So that Simon Book, <laughs> the New Adventures podcast wise, lot like you, I'm not going to pick and choose favourite Doctor Who ones because. That's just going to offend someone. Yes. Um, Kevin Smith's Fat Man Beyond. Yeah. Because each episode of that's about two and a half hours and it's very entertaining and it covers a lot of great topics. And maybe something like The Pin Factory, which talks about British politics and policies. Interesting. Um, and, and, and a very good friend of mine is the host of. Huh. So, uh, yeah, maybe those. Excellent. Pat Howe, who tweets at Patrick J. Fury, asks us, who are your three favourite Australian bands or musicians? He says, I would go for the Triffids, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and Courtney Barnett. Any snaps? Uh, no snaps, but I can tell you a little bit of coincidence here. Mm -hmm. Robert McComb from the Triffids yes. was my year 10 geography teacher. No. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I think Pat's going to love that. And, and, and it, was, it was quite funny because, I mean, this, I did year 10 in 1996. Yeah. So we're talking 15 to 20 years after the Triffids were really big. Yes. And, and it was kind of a bit of a thing, you know, a legend around the school, like, hey, you know, McComb, he, he was in a rock band once. Like, really? He must have been pretty lame rock band. You know? He's a geography teacher. And, and I remember that the Triffids, man. Well, because we had no idea who the Triffids were. Right. Because um, it, was, it was a generation before us, and this was now, you know, a, a guy in his mid to late 40s teaching geography. Yeah. And he, he just looked like a rock star. <laughs> um, but but there was, there was, I had a group of, I had a number of circles of friends in high school, but one circle we were sort of really big in that, like retro music, uh, which kind of rode the whole Beatles anthology revival thing. We used to get together and, you know, watch stuff like Yellow Submarine and Fritz the Cat and, yeah. um, you know, the be um, you know, band movies and stuff like that. And, uh, well, hey, we're really... Fritz the Cat's a bit edgy. <laughs> Fritz, Fritz, Fritz the Cat. Um, oh, what's the... Um... Heavy Metal? No, I'm trying to think of... Um, what's the movie that was banned out here? Um, the, um, There's been a few. The, the Kubrick movie. Um, oh, uh, Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. Like, you know, we'll get a bootleg copy of Clockwork Orange and watch right. that. So, so we're into that, but, but we, we sort of, you know... And we'll, we'll listen, you know, you've got to listen to the Beatles on record, man. It's the only right. way, you know. We were little that sort of group in high school for a while. And we found a copy of The Treeless Plane by mm -hmm. the Triffids. And we go, this actually isn't too bad. <laughs> and we actually sort of said, well, we just, we've just listened to your album, The Treeless Plane. And he started just talking about it. He was, like, really happy that, like, oh, someone had found his wow. music. So that was good. Um, do you want me to answer the question? You can, you can if you like. <laughs> um, look, I, I'm, I'm not a big music guy, so I don't have a long list. Yeah. But if I, if, oh, okay. So number one is Midnight Oil. Okay. They're one of my favourite bands. They, the first proper adult rock concert I went to when I turned 18 mm -hmm. was 
Midnight Oil's Redneck Wonderland tour. Yes. Um, I was introduced to them by Richard and the guys on the committee when I was on the Doctor Who Club committee and when we were, you know, back in the day, frankly, pre-internet, where everything had to be proofread in person and meetings had to be done in person. And particularly when we were planning cons, we were like at somebody's place almost every weekend for six months. And Midnight Oil was kind of the soundtrack to our, yeah, yeah. our work. But I've, I've been to a lot of Midnight Oil concerts. They're, they're, they're a great band. Um, so they're my easy number one. Two and three, if I go on the songs that I listen to the most mm. and come back to the most, number two would be Savage Garden. Mm-hmm. Because, again, truly, madly, deeply, Affirmation, those albums were big when I was, you know, 18, 19, and they were a big deal to me. Massive 20, 22 years ago. Yeah, so, so they, they were massive at exactly the right time for me, and they're songs that I still go back to and really enjoy. So um, so Savage Garden. Number three, this is going to be really weird to anybody outside Australia, probably outside Melbourne, yeah. is, is Tism. <laughs> well, I know Tism. So you, you know Tism, you're the right age and you're, you're from Australia. Tism was a Melbourne band who was very, very alternative. Yes. Uh, Tism's dad stood for This Is Serious Mum. They had a number of really out there songs, the titles of which most of whom are not acceptable to be <laughs> repeated on the podcast. But they were very, very, like, backyard, very, very, like, underground. Yeah. And, again, mostly pre-internet when they were around, like, the late 80s, 90s. And it was sort of like the world would go around, like, Tism are playing tonight. Yeah. You've got to go see Tism tonight. And it would be, you know, some just underground warehouse concert hall or, you know, a, a divey concert hall in Sydney or something. And they'll be there, you know, with Ron Hitler, Barassi and... <laughs> And, and they, they would come on and they would all wear ballot balaclavas. And, and I think it's the now confirmed legend is that they were all or most of them were school teachers. Yes. And so in Melbourne, you got them every now and then, but they only toured in school holidays mm-hmm. because they were all teachers. They would come in these balaclavas and do these outrageous performances. Um, Probably my favourite track of theirs is um, I'm on the Drug That Killed River Phoenix. Brackets, You'll Never Be an Old Man River. Never Be an Old Man River. Yeah, that one. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, look, they're, they're a very out-there band, but, again, right place, right time for me, and I still go back to those songs and really enjoy them. So, me not all, Savage Garden, Chisholm. All right. I have one snap, and that's Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Okay. Or even just Nick Cave in general, because he, he does a lot of sort of solo stuff now or stuff with his mate uh, Warren, who gets up uh, on violin and accompanies him, and Nick will be on piano and all that sort of oh, stuff. Yeah. I've probably got about six, seven, eight Nick Cave albums at home. So, oh. you know, more than a casual fan even. Yeah. Um, so I'd say Nick Cave would be one. In the 90s, I liked a lot of alternate bands who tended to be Australian. If I say names like the Falling Joys or the Hummingbirds or the Clouds, bands like that, I quite liked. But if I had to pick two bigger bands that would be better known around the world, I'll throw in Crowded House. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, two of the three guys originally were Australian, um, so we'll claim them, rather yep. than saying they're a New Zealand band. And I I will throw in In Excess, because although their stadium era is very exciting and it's amazing that an Australian band got that big and all that, I really like their pub rock sort of days around 82, 83, 84, around then, and when they would just be playing in pubs like a good pub band like midnight oil were a good pub exactly band. yeah you know i've got a book of australian rock photography that's got pictures of midnight oil probably taken not far from where we're sitting actually down towards chinatown yeah. because there'd be pubs on every corner and they'd be playing the pubs and i've got all this black and white photography of midnight oil here in sydney in like 1981 or 82 or whatever it might be and that's that's really great. But yeah, anyway, to, to go back to my list, Crowded House, In Excess, 
and uh, Nick Cave for me. I almost threw the Bee Gees in because we do, we do we claim, can claim them. Certainly when they were making it big, they were here, and, and I like a lot of that early work, but um, couldn't couldn't knock the other three out. Yeah, very fair. NDAF at NDAF71. What do you personally gain and enjoy from making the podcast? Enjoy and personally gain. Oh, look, I can say one thing I've personally gained over time is the ability to edit audio. When I first started in podcasts, I would sit there and look at Audacity and look at all these buttons and not really know quite what I was doing. And now, as Dave can attest, he can send me a file of his side of a conversation. I can add my side, edit it, and have it up online pretty damn fast because I've learned how to edit really well. I wish I was this good at video editing, (laughs) and maybe I will be in time as I work on another little side project, but audio editing is something I've gained from this. I think the big thing that I get out of podcasting is the escapism. Yeah. Uh, As I've said before, you know, I work in politics, both, both professionally and sort of, you know, as a member of the local party, I should say as the member of the party locally. Mm -hmm. And so it's very, very easy for working in politics and being involved in politics to take over your life. Yeah. And I certainly remember if I go back to sort of 10 years ago, I did reach a point where, like, I went to work in a political office. I then, in the afternoon, was either working on a political campaign. If I was going out to dinner, it was with friends from politics, and it became my life. And that was one of the impetuses in getting back into the local fan club as the 50th anniversary came around, sort of go, no, I need something else in my life. Mm-hmm. And now the podcasts that I do and other podcasts that I do are just a big part of going, I'm going to turn that part of my life off and talk about a funny little show about an alien who travels through time and space in yeah. a police box and just escape the world and, and have another thing that's important to me to go on. Yeah, um, That's a big thing. The interaction and just the chance to talk about a show I love with other people is really good and and genuine friends. You know, there, mm-hmm. are, there are friends in other countries yes. who I speak to electronically on a regular basis. Who you've met. And who I've met. You yeah. know, there, there are people I've gone to and, you know, sat in pubs in London, for example, and would never have met these guys were it not for the podcast scene. And in exactly the same way as, look, you know, I've mentioned Richard a couple of times during this podcast and other friends like Rob and Mark and Andrew and Mike and Mark. Mm-hmm. You know, these are people that I met last century, yeah. you know, in the 90s through Doctor Who fandom. And we are still mates today. We still do podcasts together today in some cases. We go to the pub less often now than we used to. It used to be like, you know, a fortnightly <laughs> thing. You know, we would we'd get together every fortnight and go to the Dickens or the Imperial and catch the four o'clock night rider home. You know, nice. those 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 days are long gone. It's now, you know, when 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 the wife's allowed, when the babysitters can be organised and yes, we're yes. all in town, you know, we'll get together and have a meal and a couple of drinks and, oh, guys, the last train's coming. I need to be off or, you know, you know the, the babysitter fee goes up at 10.30. Sorry, I'm, I'm done. Um, you know, the world's changed. We're all older, but I still see these guys... 20-something years later, and yeah. they're as good mates now as they were then. Yeah. And th- I'm getting that out of podcasting as well. Yeah. My answer was quite cold and clinical because I was answering the gained part of the question. But what was the first part of the question, aside from what we have gained? Enjoy. Enjoy. I enjoy, as you've already just mentioned, the interaction with people. It's it's one thing to throw out your ideas on a podcast. That's, that's a little ego-driven to some degree. But what is more enjoyable then, I mean, it's very enjoyable sitting down talking to you like we're doing today and like we do so many times. 46 episodes last year, folks. (laughs) But when you actually get the feedback from the episodes and you talk to people on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, or someone sends you 
a lovely note. I won't mention the specifics, but someone sent us a tweet the other day about something very personal mm, in yes. their life, yep. and our show had been part of that. And if they're listening, they'll know who we're talking about. I was quite taken aback in a good way, blown away, like something we make mucking around on, on Skype yeah. is actually a profound moment in someone else's life. That's, wow, you know, shivers up my spine sort of thing. Um, it's the interaction that means a lot. Yeah, and people who live in communities in America, for example, where yes. they, they don't have a Doctor Who fandom, yes. their friends and work colleagues don't watch Doctor Who, and this is their, like, connection to Doctor Who fandom. Like, it's like, wow, that's kind of a, a, a cool thing. Yeah. Um, but in the end of the day, look, as we said earlier, like, we... we we generally don't come into the podcast with an agenda or, no. you know, what's, what's going to, what's going to get our viewers up this, this time. It's what do we want to talk about? And yeah, yeah. Look, we absolutely lean into things that we think are good. And, and, and I guess our enjoyment goes up if more people enjoy a topic. Yeah. So for example, when we do our season deep dives, lots of people really get into those and they're fun to do and they make us feel good. So we do a couple more of those than we used to do. Yeah. But generally we just go and we go well. Um, you know, look, our Eve, Eve of the Daleks review was a classic case. Like, I didn't go with the, you know, right, I'm going to smash this and get the, you know, be controversial. And yeah. Like, oh, well, I didn't enjoy that. I guess I better say I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And you just put it out there and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we are smart people. If we wanted to game the system, we could and say things that would get us this audience over here or that audience over there. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be massive. And, you know, it would be incredible and we could have T-shirts and do all sorts of stuff. But instead, we Patreon just... Patreon accounts. Yeah, Patreon <laughs> accounts. <laughs> uh, instead, we, yeah, we stay true to ourselves and that might jive with you some weeks and it might not jive with you other weeks. And uh, sure, people write in and tell us that sometimes. Like, I didn't agree with you this month. Yeah. But uh, I really enjoy the episode and I think, well, job done. Yeah, and it wouldn't be fun if we were trying to game the system. No. It, it would be work. Oh, it, it would be work and it would bore me, and that, that, Yeah, and, and this is meant to be an escape from all that, which yeah. is what I mean, which is what the show is meant to be. And I know some people take the show more seriously than others, and that's fine, but at the end of the day, it's a show about a guy who travels through time and space in a police box. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's escapism. Exactly. Now, I think this last one is more of a comment. Uh, yes, yeah, so Stu Gutteridge said via Facebook, not a question per se, but your show is easy to listen to and therefore hugely enjoyable. I just wish you would do a bit more on stuff outside of Doctor Who like you used to in the past. Well, uh, yes. Look, and as I've replied on Facebook, with the 46 episodes we did last year, largely on Doctor Who, we did sort of lose, uh, lose track of doing alternate galaxies and things like that. But when that Spider-Man review went up, not that I was part of that one because I, I don't tend to watch the Marvel movies, at least when they come out in the cinemas... It struck me that we can do a whole lot more with alternate galaxies, and I'd certainly like to this year. Yeah, and, and look, the lack of movies coming out in the last two years meant that our reviews in yeah, other states didn't come too. out. Um, and, and even the lack of television, you know, Picard Series 2 was delayed by quite a bit. Um, the Mandalorian Season 3 hasn't come out for a while. You know, it's, it's gone from a yearly to sort of year and a bitly. Yeah. And so those sort of season reviews that we did of TV shows have turned down a little bit as well because of COVID. But... Yeah, no, that's that's uh, look, look, that's a lovely comment, Stu. I'm glad you enjoy it, and yeah, look, I, I would like to talk about some more stuff as well. I really enjoyed doing the Spider-Man one recently. Yeah. That was it was it's uh, as I say in the reviews, you and I, or Richard and I, or you and Richard, or whoever we get on, are going to have these conversations anyway. Yeah. You know, when Richard drops around into a spacefall recording, and if we've both seen the latest Marvel movie, there's going to be half an hour of, hey mate, what do you think of the latest Marvel movie? Yeah, and at one point we thought. 
let's just turn the microphone on and have that conversation, you know, and record and let others join in. And that's that. And, and that's literally what we sort of feel like it being. It's like, let's just chat about this movie yes. and, and turn the mic on and see if you jive with it. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're very easy to listen to. I like that comment. Thank you. Yeah. I, what can we say? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. This has been fun, Dave, sitting here in, a, in your lovely room here. Yes, my uh, my hotel room. I <laughs> oh yes, it's not in Dave's bedroom or anything. Going no, on. no, uh, no. Look, it has. It's a rare occasion we are in the studio together, so to speak. Um, very lovely to have so many people reply to your tweet and say, "Oh, the way you sounded, never realised you weren't in the same room." I I know. I thought, oh gosh, I thought everyone would have just assumed that because we do say all the shows in Sydney and Melbourne. But maybe people haven't noticed that and do think we sit across from a table. You know? I, I, I did have one person who, who, who once said to me, I said, so do you and Rob get together much? And then there's a pause and go, no, you live in two different cities, don't you? <laughs> so uh, a testament to your editing, Rob, that they come out and, and, and it sounds so good. But uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this uh, as live recording. Yes, yes. Uh, I've really enjoyed the questions and I've, I've enjoyed seeing you, Dave. We had a lovely lunch before we did this, uh, dear listener, uh, which was fun too. We did. And uh, look, once again, if this is something that you enjoy, if this format's something you enjoy, we can lean into it and do another one at some point. Yeah. Well, on that note... I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. And we'll see you next time on the Doctor Who Show. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show with Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Who Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net. <laughs>